The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good to see everyone tonight. Um, there are a lot of faces I don't recognize, so I'm assuming um, some of you who I don't recognize also don't recognize me. Uh, my name is Fugan. I came down with Sajin from Cape Cod today to practice with you, uh, where we practice with Hyannis Zendo Sangha, which is an affiliate of the Village Zendo. So this is a special opportunity for us to be here, and it's um, really wonderful. And I see some Hyannis Zendo folks uh, joining us online as well. And it's, it's wonderful to have this coming together moment. This uh, ceremony is, is this the first time for anybody doing Fusatsu tonight? Yeah, a couple head nods. Um, it is something special. Uh, the last thing we did, this bowing to Kaishi, I should probably explain, is bowing to the precepts teacher. And so right now I'm sitting in that seat, but the precepts teacher is the lineage of precepts that we've inherited uh, from Anki Roshi, who inherited it from Bernie Glassman, who in inherited it from Maizumi Roshi. And this transmission goes all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha. And those of you who have done Jukai, who have uh, formally taken the precepts, which are at the center of tonight's ceremony, uh, might remember doing your Kechmiyaku, your lineage chart. And that Kechmiyaku uh, starts with Shakyamuni Buddha, and you fill out the chart uh, with all the ancestors, Shakyamuni Buddha to Mahakashapa, through all the Indian teachers, through all the Chinese teachers, through all the Japanese teachers, through all the American teachers, down to you. And then all along the way, you're connected by this red line, this blood lineage that loops back up to Shakyamuni Buddha. And that's what we're doing right now. We're connecting that circle. This is the Kai, the precepts that connect us all the way back and all the way forward into right now, and this is where they manifest in us today, in this moment. And the Fusatsu ceremony, uh, Fusatsu we translate as uh, atonement, and I guess I've gotten used to that word. At first it seemed a little uh, strange to me. Another translation that you see is a repentance ceremony. Sometimes it's called um, confession, which might strike some people in here or out there. Um, and this ceremony is an old one as well. It also dates back to the, Buddhist, the Buddha's Sangha and comes to us in that same blood lineage. And Fusatsu appears in many different Buddhist traditions, sometimes in, in slightly different variations. Uh, in Thich Nhat Hanh's Sangha, they have a very similar flavored ceremony they do monthly called Beginning Anew. And that Beginning Anew is a chance for that community to heal itself, uh, to start fresh, 
to wake up to this moment of together practice, which is what we're doing as well. And so right now it's nice and relaxing to be sitting uh, after this very intense uh, first part of the ceremony. Um, there is no mistaking fusatsu for uh, an abstraction. Right? We do this in our bodies. I'm sure we all felt at some point during this ceremony, our knees, shoulders, breathing, the heat, uh, the chanting. This is an embodied practice. And all of our practice is embodied practice, but uh, in Fusatu it really stands out, this connection that's happening in these bodies right now. And in this movement together as well, we do all this together. And moving together with the same intention is a special thing to do. Um, it connects us in a way that goes well beyond our ideas of being together. Right? This together movement is a key part of it. And it is happening here in the Zendo. It's happening through our online Zendo. We're all connected in this moment of practice. And so before I speak about the precepts, I just want to speak a little bit about the parts of Fusatsu that we've already gone through. And that first part, the uh, verse of atonement, is a key part of the practice, right? The atonement ceremony starts with us atoning for all our evil karma. This history in our lives of actions, thoughts and speech that have caused suffering, caused suffering to ourselves and to those around us. And our karma is not just ours alone, right? We share that karma. Our actions resonate uh, in our families and communities. Uh, our karma comes to us also from our families, communities, our parents, our ancestors. Right? This karma extends all the way back as well. So we say, all evil karma ever committed by me since of old. And we come face to face with that in our lives. This is uh, crucial. Right? We don't say, all evil karma ever committed by me since of old. Now I put it on the back burner or throw it away. You know, I ignore it. No, now I atone for it all. This karma, um, there, there are a lot of great metaphors for karma. One that I love is uh, Sung San's image of uh, karma trailing behind us like a mountain. And we keep adding to that karma when we're not practicing with it, when we're not working with our karma, when we're not clearing the entanglements that we create through repeating our habit energies that we've built up over a lifetime and over generations. Sung San also talks about uh, digesting karma, that this is our practice, that we can digest our karma. And I like that, um, especially because it's a way that we really uh, incorporate our karmic history and our work with it into our growth, like we digest food and we absorb the nutrients. 
this kind of transformation is so in us, in our bodies, that I think um, this digesting of karma really fits the bill for me. And we do this, we call it atonement, at one mint, right? We can break that down. We become one with our karma. And this is a chance for us to alleviate suffering in our lives, in the lives of our families and communities, in the lives of our larger communities in our country where we see karmic actions being played out again and again in all the violence, uh, the responses from fear, or the reactions from fear, I think is more like it. Um, the, growing inequalities. All these are karmas that we, in this moment, in this evening, have the chance to atone for. So that moving forward, we're not creating evil karma, but we're practicing and creating clarity in ourselves and those around us. And that looks like our lives when we're paying attention. And the second part of the ceremony is when we um, have atoned for our karma and we have the chance to uncover or manifest the energies of practice, the various Buddhas and Bodhisattva energies that are in us, that are us, in fact, and are only covered up at times uh, by our karma. Right? And we start with the past seven Buddhas, and these are the Buddhas that preceded Shakyamuni Buddha. And then we recognize the energy of Shakyamuni Buddha, this uh, person in northern India who put his energy into waking up and spent his life working towards the healing of all those around him. We recognize we become one with, that's Namu, we become one with Shakyamuni Buddha. We become one with um, Manjushri, right? the Bodhisattva who cuts through illusions. Right? This is our discriminating awareness. We can see clearly what's in front of us because these veils that uh, keep us blinded are dropped away. Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Um, if you've seen images of this Bodhisattva, he's riding uh, his mount as a great elephant. Right? This is the powerful energy of practice, our great vow. And we call on that energy to do this work that we're doing tonight. We call on the energy of Avalokiteshvara. We become one with Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva who hears the cries of the world. Right? And hearing those cries, she acts. We act with compassion and skill. We uncover Maitreya Buddha in us, the Buddha to come. Thich Nhat Hanh says this Buddha is the Sangha. I think this Buddha has always been the Sangha. It is this Sangha right now, Maitreya Buddha manifesting. And then we recognize all the future Daishos, all the future enlightened beings, enlightening beings. And again, we see this circle 
Right? It's not a linear timeline here, but we're absorbed in this circle and manifesting it today, tonight. Having that energy of these Buddhas and Bodhisattvas revealed in us, then we can take our vows, our four vows, the Bodhisattva vows. And then we also are open to manifesting our preset practice, right? This Kai. And tonight I just want to spend a little time thinking about one of our ten grave precepts, the eighth precept. The eighth precept. Um, not sparing the Dharma assets. And it takes me a minute to think of that because the word sparing is so strange to me. Right? We think, uh, can you spare some change? Right? I have some spare clothes, um, these extras. And sparing, not sparing the Dharma assets means not uh, putting them in this place of something extra, right? something we can give away but hang on to the rest. Right? This idea of sparing something means we're holding the rest very tightly. This precept's also called not being stingy or non-being stingy. And I've been thinking about this precept a lot lately um, because at the root of it, uh, what is it we're holding that keeps us from not being stingy or non-stinginess? Right? This, this uh, stinginess seems to be a view of the world that's transactional, right? We give some money and we feel a little better in that moment. Uh, we are looking for something in return for our love and affection, for the time we give, right? This kind of giving is, um, is sparing a little bit of the Dharma assets. Dharma assets are all those things in the world, um, everything. Not just uh, your skills and talents and beautiful things you do, but everything. Right? And how do we not spare those dharma assets? How are we non-stingy with that? Right? So first we have to recognize what we're trying to maintain, what we're afraid of losing. Right? And the image that comes to mind is this... Uh, kind of terrifying image of the hungry ghosts. Um, and these are beings that live in the hungry ghost realm and they have uh, long skinny, skinny necks, bloated stomachs from, from hunger, and they cannot swallow food. They cannot be, uh, they cannot take in the nutrition they need. They cannot um, ever satiate their hunger. And these hungry ghosts really are us. They are uh, those places in us that cannot be satisfied, but yet hold on and grasp in this stingy way, in this way of uh, fear. And being stuck in the hungry ghost realm, as we are, all of us at times, um, is, is at the root of a lot of our evil karma that we produce. 
And so this precept uh, really hits home. It, it speaks to our way of transforming our own hungry ghostness so that we can open to generosity. So we can nourish ourselves and freely give. Not just give a little bit, right? Non-stinginess is not just less stingy. Right? It is this freedom. When uh, Bodhidharma in his commentary on this precept, he says, um, something beautiful, <laughs> something very beautiful. Um, but he says, in the um, genuine, in the genuine and all-pervading dharma, not being stingy about a single thing is the precept of not, uh, of not sparing the dharma assets. Let me say that again. <laughs> In the genuine and all-pervading dharma, not being stingy about a single thing is the precept of not sparing the dharma assets. And not being stingy about a single thing. Right? This is so open. No holding. This is the 100% engagement. And this doesn't mean... You know, I will give away all my clothes and possessions and uh, wander for the rest of my days. Now, this is 100% engagement with your giving. Right? This might be a smile that is you connecting with someone. Right? This might be giving time to the person that you, know, you would otherwise dismiss. You know, noticing what's in front of you and what's needed what's needed to be given, what dharma asset you need to manifest in this moment. And maybe this is giving some money here, giving you know, your energy to a cause, but not in the transactional, uh, less stingy way, but in the full, the full giving way. Dogen talks about this in his commentary, saying one phrase, one verse, this is the 10,000 things, or that is the 10,000 things and 100 grasses. Right? This oneness is manifest in 10,000 things, in all the Dharma assets, in the 100 grasses, all the difference in the world. And he goes on and he says, one Dharma, one realization, that is all Buddhas and all ancestral teachers. Thus, from the very beginning, there's been no stinginess at all. So bridging this uh, false divide that we make between the clarity of our practice, the absolute, and the relative, right in these hundred grasses in this world of diversity, this is where we manifest ourselves as non-stinginess. The uh, Zen Peacemaker version of this precept is using all the ingredients of my life. 
This is the precept of not being stingy. Right? This is generosity, the first paramita, dana, giving in a way that is um, without a sense of reciprocal um, return. That reciprocation is already there. And how do we work with it? Uh, those of you who have gone through precepts training had the chance to look closely at, our sting at your stinginess. Right? We ask ourselves again and again, moment by moment, how is this manifesting? Right? How is my stinginess, my anger, right? my killerness in me, how is that manifesting? And that attention to what's coming up, this attending, is where the transformation takes place, where we digest what would become this evil karma. Right there in those 10,000 things in the mud, right, the lotus is blooming. The next part of our ceremony, uh, we recognize and pay homage to the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And so having realized uh, the, the energy of our Bodhisattva and Buddha nature, knowing that these precepts are a path, a very clear and uh, present path for us in all of us, you know, this embodied path that we're on, we get the support of the three treasures and the three pure precepts. Right? The support of our Buddha nature, this clarity, oneness. We get the support of the Dharma, the diversity, bearing witness to this diversity in the world, doing good. And we have the support of this Sangha, the Buddha, to come who is arriving as we speak. Right, this support of harmony, of community. And I will end just by um, evoking an image from our uh, literature, uh, from a koan um, called uh, uh, Chinwi's Rice Pail. And Chinwi was uh, a master at a temple, and every day before the meal, he would carry his rice pail out uh, to the front of the monk's hall. And there he would do a little dance. And laughing, he would say, bodhisattvas, come eat. Bodhisattvas, come eat. That's what we're doing here tonight. We are feasting. We are feeding ourselves in our practice. Bodhisattvas, come eat.